You are listening to the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. This is episode 1605, A Lesson in Identity by Byron Joel. What follows in this permabyte is a reading by Byron of his article, A Lesson in Identity. You'll find a link in the show notes to this piece, as well as to an earlier interview that he and I recorded together called The Power of Permaculture from 2014. That conversation remains one of my personal favorites due to Byron's deep exploration of how this practice of permaculture changed his life. This introduction is going to be a quick one, so without further ado, here we go. Uh, G'day, my name is Byron Joel. I am a permaculture, agrarian, holistic management uh, practitioner in southwestern Australia from where I run a business called Oak Tree Designs. In July of 2015, I uh, took a work trip to Morocco where I was um, teaching a couple of courses and doing some consultancy Um, and an unexpected thing occurred to me in terms of my teaching technique that I wasn't anticipating and um, had some really interesting results that I uh, wrote a little bit of a report upon, an informal report, which I'm going to read to you now. Uh, However, if you want to go to my website, under the articles section, there's um, the written written report, uh, along with photos as well, which you might find interesting. So that's oaktreedesigns.com.au under the articles section, and it's entitled Trip to Morocco, A Lesson in Identity. Thank you very much. I've recently had the good fortune to have spent three weeks travelling through northern Morocco, teaching and consulting for the Morocco Integral Group. I was asked to provide two courses, seven days each, on practical permaculture for the villages in the region of the Rift Mountains. It sounded simple enough and shorter than a PDC, but as I got down to constructing a curriculum, I realised without a thorough understanding of the context of the people attending, much of my proposed curriculum could be all but useless. So I decided I could do what I could, but I still left a lot of room for the spontaneous arising of relevant discussion. For the months and weeks leading up to the course, I was having deep misgivings about myself, a young guy from middle-class Western Australia, the lucky country, travelling across the globe to teach an ancient rural people about anything practical. It just didn't feel right. However, the guys organising the course assured me that the people there needed assistance as much as anywhere and that they had faith in my abilities. I had worked with them before. Fast forward to my arrival, and as I approached the farm around sunset, after about 35 hours of travelling, I viewed the harsh, dry and all but barren hills of the region, and my heart sunk. What on earth am I going to be able to offer these people? I went to bed jet-lagged and disheartened, thinking to myself how I really needed to understand their context foremost. The course began the next morning at about 8.30am. I had approximately 20 villagers, plus farm staff and a young British family there. I remembered back to when I had assisted another permaculture teacher in providing the same people with a PDC three years earlier. Some in that previous course, mostly the Westerners who had travelled there, had appreciated the PDC material, but the majority of the villagers had largely seen it as an abstraction, and next to no replication or implementation had occurred in the village since. So I looked at my proposed curriculum for the day. 
permaculture principles, design thinking, etc. And quite spontaneously, I decided I was going down another route. I introduced myself to the group and explained who I was, my background, my work, why it was that I was now standing in front of them, and what I hoped we could achieve together. Then I asked them about themselves. Who were they? How did they refer to themselves? Do they identify tribally, regionally, nationally? How do they make a living? At first they seemed reluctant, but pretty soon they seemed to enjoy the fact that an outsider was taking a keen interest in who they are. They don't ever get tourists there, ever. By the end of the day, they were eagerly sharing greater details in their ideas of themselves as individuals, families, village, region, and beyond. And I had barely even mentioned the word permaculture. I reflected that night as I lay in my tent about what had occurred and decided that we should continue in the same line of inquiry the next day. So the next morning, I asked them about their local identity and practices through time. We explored the difference between how they and their parents' generation made a living and a livelihood. We explored how their grandparents had done it, how their people had lived in the region before the French occupation, and we went as far back as to explore the few sources that suggest North Africa was a very different place in the last millennium. Much greener and generally much brighter and higher in biodiversity than today. Lion, elephant, rhino, lynx... Morocco was in fact a meld of European and African biomes. As it went, the huge lake that their village is now situated upon was once a fertile valley in which their people grew thousands of acres of fruit, mainly citrus, intercropped with wheat, vegetables, and they ran their animals there. However, in the early 80s, the Moroccan government had built a hydroelectric plant downstream and had dammed the valley, thus ending the relatively fruitful way of life that the people of the region had known. Since then, it seems they have experienced the cultural disorientation so common amongst peoples whose way of life is abruptly and dramatically changed. Obviously, these are all things that they had already known about themselves, but having them objectify the events and their responses to them seemed to have a clarifying effect for the group. I asked them if they would describe the changes in their way of life as positive or negative. They all said that while they enjoy the benefits of the electricity the dam provides, the socio-cultural, agricultural and ecological changes they have witnessed are decidedly negative. Their growing dependency on external inputs, the socially degrading effects of television, poorer and poorer pasture, erosion, the recent mass introduction of genetically modified wheat seed and the resulting crash in yield, etc., etc. The elder gentleman appeared visibly relieved and vindicated to see me, an outsider, aware and appreciative of the slow death of their collective health and happiness. Some had been watching the incremental, and often abrupt, changes for 70 plus years, but had not had the means to properly express their heartache, and the youth, like so many around the world, were quick to dismiss it as the jaded ramblings of an outdated era. When I noticed this dynamic, I did my best to implore the young attendees to listen to their elders and explore and embrace the practices of their ancestors. On day three, I presented the group with a slideshow on Mediterranean climate regions of the world, initiating the morning's discussion, which was to lead the group to think beyond their village. The people of the region have no formal education, and their ideas of the world beyond come largely through the one or two television channels they receive. To me, one of the most impacting points of all the course was when the penny dropped as to their position within the greater modern global context. 
Having already spent so much time exploring their story, I guided them into a discussion of the state of the world at large and the immense changes that virtually all peoples have experienced. We looked at traditional peoples pre- and post-the-Industrial Revolution and pre- and post-World War I and II. I showed them images of Romanian villages from 1890s, dressed in traditional garb, completely unique to that region of the world. We looked at images of native peoples from Bolivia in the 1900s, people from Bali, Nigeria, Sweden, and we discussed the many and varied and beautiful unique cultural forms that have developed around the world, born of the relationship between a people and their land over prodigious time periods. And then I showed them recent pictures, mainly of young people from all those same countries, all wearing the same clothes at Starbucks on their phones. We discussed how the loss of a species is considered such a tragedy, and rightly so, and I suggested that the loss of these traditional human cultural forms was also not only deeply tragic but dangerous. The next morning we finally discussed ecology. I wrote on the board, in both English and Arabic, Ecology is the primary economy. Ecological function is true wealth. We would return to these axioms frequently. I really wanted this to sink in as a primary truism. Despite being very rural and still a semi-traditional people, they are all but obsessed with money. Almost all their mental equations they make are in the form of money, so I began to introduce the concept of energetic accounting and seeing money as just one more energy. I introduced the atrophy, sustainability, regeneration spectrum and referencing their own observations of ecological, agricultural degradation, we cemented their appreciation for this. We used the leaky bucket analogy and clarified how nature regenerates by catching and storing energy and that currently most human systems atrophy from the immense energy leaks. We explored how money is just one form of energy, the cultural energy of human exchange. And very importantly, we clarified how relative to other usable energy forms, whether it's water, gravity, light, heat, biomass, fuels, etc., money is in fact imaginary. We observed how the region receives adequate rainfall, 700 mil a year, but that it's no longer being caught and stored, that life can never really catch and store energy forever, but that by slowing it down, it can be used with greatest efficiency, metabolized if you will. The quickest of glances with a half-trained eye could see that the entire region was in serious need of some beneficial animal impact, and so we spent time covering the principles behind the ecology and grazing as described in holistic management. We covered the main differences between set stocking and intensive rotational grazing, the predator-prey relationship and beneficial disturbance, plant recovery, the brittle spectrum, etc. This was a major aha moment for them. After careful explanation, they digested the basics and they became very enthusiastic. I suggested that they think about changing their current set stocking methods and asking the institute if they could begin training and practice in HM techniques. Finally, after lunch that day, we began on permaculture principles. We covered many and how they could apply to them. We then listed all their weekly, monthly, annual inputs, byproducts, products and wastes. This really helped to cement the notion of how dependent they have become upon externalities. We then created a basic flow diagram charting how the energies and resources could ideally flow through an average village homestead. It was very clarifying. 
After all this, on day four, we began to tour some home sites in the village and started our design projects. I could see how with some work, but mostly just different thinking, their very quaint but severely degraded and dry village could become an extremely abundant, resilient and very beautiful settlement. I shared this vision with them and the processes that could take them there. By now the villagers were super enthusiastic and over the remaining few days we fleshed out Zone 1-2 designs for a handful of village homesteads. The directors and staff at the Institute have been amazed by the change they have witnessed in the villages during and since the course. For three years the Institute has been providing courses and resources to the people of the village in hope that they would appreciate the opportunity and then apply and reproduce what they are shown. Frustratingly they hadn't done so. This is a pretty common theme within these types of projects. One or two people will catch on, catch the bug and become involved, but there is often a huge lag in any significant number becoming enthused and active. At the beginning of my time there, there was a current of scepticism and even light distrust from many of the villagers. As the days went on it began to shift. The youth began to return to class having done their own site plans, completely unprompted. Now I'm told that since the course, those that hadn't done it really wished they had, and there was a great air of enthusiasm amongst them. When I first suggested that set stocking was a major regional affliction, they were sceptical and almost offended. We went through the ecology behind HM grazing, and I returned to it many times daily until it sunk in. Now there is a great increasing enthusiasm from the villagers to combine their animals into a flock or a herd and to collectively graze on a beneficial schedule. Last week I got this message from one of the directors. Byron, three days ago we counted 50 cows, 70 sheep and more than 20 other animals grazing on the farm. Today there are 180. I will indeed take a picture so you get to believe it. Amazingly, I've been told that as a direct result of the course, they are holding sittings to discuss reinstating their old abandoned traditional common law system that has been in disuse for generations. In fact, only the most elderly have memory of it in practice. It is similar to the Amish system by which the whole village will come together to complete a large project in a relatively short time. With this system in place, coupled with good design and a genuine understanding of the principles behind it, they could do amazing work, and I believe they will. I think I was drawn into this new course outline for a number of reasons. One, my training in holistic management and the great import it places upon context. Two, my use of and admiration for the agrarian platform and its recognition of how important mental climate, psychography and demography are. Three, my relatively recent exploration into my own cultural heritage and common law found me naturally curious about their deeper identity. Four, my genuine fear of being perceived as a Western missionary charlatan type come to spread the word and save the people. This brought me to a deep, genuine desire to get to know them as thoroughly as possible in order to be of greater service to them instead of just delivering a one-size-fits-all prepackaged routine. I'll be looking into how to better refine this process I've initiated. It helped them make the connection between the story of their history and the fact that it's mirrored around the world. And of course, taking this deeper dive into their context made me feel more capable of affecting real change. While a PDC is flexible enough to accommodate for different locations and teaching styles, those that I've seen taught have largely been quite universal and not so focused upon a people in a place with a context. 
that can work very well in a developed area with a cosmopolitan audience. But for those times and places where one is addressing a rural agrarian peoples, not long removed from their traditional ways of life and not so exposed to global concepts, I think we should be really rethinking our approach. I've now seen firsthand how superfluous it is to spend days on teaching, in this case, northern Moroccan villages about the humid tropics or cool to cold climates or even pattern understanding. They themselves ask the purpose and validity of doing so, at least in an introductory course. There are other pennies that need to drop first. And that was Byron Joel. Find out more about him and his work at oaktreedesigns.com.au, which is where you will also find a digital copy of A Lesson in Identity and can read the full text for yourself. If you enjoy this episode, go to thepermaculturepodcast.com and click on the support tab to find out how you can bring more stories like this one into the world. Until the next time, take care of Earth, yourself, and each other.